Welcome to Pitch It To Me Podcast, a show about the subjective past, present, and potential future of flesh and blood design. If you get nervous, don't worry, just imagine us in our underwear. For this episode, on red, yellow, and blue pitch, you'll hear from Joel, Fuzzy, and Clark, respectively, on their experiences at the U.S. National Championship in Vegas. You can find us across all socials, such as TikTok and Instagram, at Pitch It To Me Podcast. Hey, I'm Joel. I'm Fuzzy. And I'm Clark. And we're back, baby. From Vegas, baby. (laughs) We were gone for an entire weekend, but we have returned to Long Beach, California to bring podcasting to the people. Like Prometheus brought fire from Mount Olympus, right? Yeah, that was it. (laughs) That was the the Greek legend. Um, Yeah, wow. We are very dedicated to this. I'm honestly surprised that we're doing this so soon after Nationals. Yeah, we just got back two days ago. It's Tuesday. Yeah, it's... It was tiring. I don't know how other content creators, like, release a video Monday morning. We wanted to tell you all about our highs and lows in the trip and what it was like at U.S. Nationals in Vegas, what these big events can be like. That way, even if you weren't able to come to Nationals, you weren't able to make the trip, you can still get a little piece of it and experience a little bit and understand what it's like. That way, if you ever get to go someday, you'll have good expectations and you'll be prepared. Yeah. And we'll just want to bitch and moan about some <laughs> things that happened. <laughs> There's plenty to, plenty to bitch and moan about, plenty to pat ourselves on the back about. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of someone who I think had the highest highs and the lowest lows, Joel, let's start with you, Mr. Uh, Top 100. Oh, oh my look, God. That, I don't know what to tell you. I just, I just do it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had a really fun weekend. My first, like, tier, was it? Tier one event or tier three event? Is it the This other is tier event? two. Tier two. No, wait, tier three, tier three. Tier three, right? Yeah. So my th- first tier three event, first time qualifying for a big event like this, had a lot of fun. I didn't really have a goal for myself, like, you know, day two or like positive record or anything. It kind of like evolved. At first, I was like, I'm going to win the whole thing. I don't care. I'm taking everybody down. Homie and homie violence don't matter. Whatever. Uh, and then I lost my second round. So I'm like, okay, let me just make day two. <laughs> <laughs> And then drop came around. <laughs> oh no! The, so I lost my second round. I'm like, okay, let me just do really good in CC. And, and for and context, ma- um, the day one of nationals is four rounds of classic constructed, mm. followed by a three round draft in an eight man pod. And you have to get at least a four three record. You have to get at least four wins across those seven games in order to qualify for day two. So yeah, my, initially I wanted to win the whole thing, and I was like, okay, let me just make top eight, right? And then draft came along, and I had a terrible draft experience. I was the only chain in the pod and still managed to go one and two. So I was like, okay, let me just make day two. Um, and then the next day... So, so what was your record day one? My record day one, I was four and three total. So I was one and two in draft, but three and one in CC. I mean, that's not bad in CC, right? Yeah, I was, I was firing on all cylinders in CC, for sure. So I was proud of my record there. And then day two, I went... One and two and draft again, but four and zero oh in CC. So that's a total of nine five. Nine, nine five. five. Yeah, nine, nine five. wins, five losses. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good record. 
Yeah, I just bubbled out of top 64 to get in the money, but I mean, I'm still technically in the top 100 of US Nats, so pretty happy about that, not gonna lie. Big shot over here. <laughs> Does this mean that we can start talking about competitive viability? Because we have someone who's in the top 100 players in the nation. A little bit. <laughs> Joel's opinion like, now matters more. <laughs> sorry, Clark. I We're think, talking about competitive play now. It's a competitive <laughs> podcast. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it to a minimum because I still want to be growing as a player and not put my foot in my mouth. You know what I mean? Make bad calls or whatever. Yeah, you don't want to just... The moment that you get the tiniest bit of street cred, you don't want to burn it. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly mm -hmm. it. So I'm going to lie a little bit, little bit, place at a higher tournament, win some tier two events. Joel, yeah. I have a loaded question for you. Okay. And feel free to just like verbally slap me in the face even for asking it. <laughs> you were playing Levia mm -hmm. in Nats, right? Mm -hmm. Levia is a, would you say, a high variance hero? One of the most Ooh. higher variance heroes, yeah. Do you think you got lucky? Honestly, Joel is really thinking about did you, this question. Did you like roll any double ones? I rolled a few ones. I didn't roll a lot actually. So I've been doing better. I think the reason why I did so well at Nats actually is because I only rolled when I really had to. Like mm. I, I really focused on trying to do like really efficient hands of three card 12. That's like my whole deck list pretty much. And so really the only times I can recall doing scabs is when I needed to win against like Bravo or Dash mm. or to clear problematic auras and dragons like Moragai and um, what's it called? Passing Mirage. Mm -hmm. That being said, I did get kind of lucky against two Lexis because I don't think either, either of them played three of a kind in the match that we played. And I saw at least actually, one, actually you lucky motherfucker. <laughs> but I also played really well. Uh, against like their Art of War Rain Razor's turn. So okay. there, there's, you know, I earned it a little bit. <laughs> well, congrats, Joel. I'm proud of you. Thank you, thank you. So proud. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I do have to see my power cards like Blood Rush Bellow, Art of War, they have to draw well. So can't say it didn't go well for me, but I feel like Lexi does the same thing. So sure, sure. There, there, at some point you kind of have to say like, yeah, you, you know, you did do something. It's not just... Leviah doing Leviah things because mm -hmm. I, I really didn't use scabs all that much this weekend. And from our perspective, at least from my perspective, as someone who didn't play in nationals, you were just kind of gone for the first two days. Mm -hmm. You weren't really around. Like I was sort of walking around and every so often would be like, oh, Joel actually has time this round to like come by and say hi. Yeah. But most of the time you were over there in the little Nats area really focusing on, on playing your best. Yeah, and a lot of my matches would go on pretty long. Like I had some Dromice, some Dashes, some Bravos. Mm -hmm. And so those matches would go a long time, so I didn't have a lot of time in between rounds other than to like grab food just to refuel fuel or something. But for the most part, I was really trying to yeah play at the highest competitive level, keep track of my triggers, make sure you know I'm keeping track of all the board states because of all the uh, mini games that Levi has to play now. So Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of work. Mm -hmm. uh, I hate draft, though. <laughs> like I'm really just over it. My like, the re me doing so well. I think seven and one overall in CC just tells me like if I just practice a little bit more in draft, I could have maybe made top sixty four. I just probably needed like one more win mm -hmm. to go ten and four, and then I made sure make you know two hundred fifty bucks. I mean, 
I 100% agree. It sounds like your draft record was what kind of held you back there. Mm -hmm. It would have been a little bit different because you would have matched up against people who also did a little bit better in draft. So right. who knows how it would have happened. Yeah, and I welcome the higher ELO or the higher pairings in Gem 2 because I want to be playing against the best players in the tournament yeah. to improve as a player. So there's something to be said, like maybe day two I'm going against other people who are just like playing it out. But at least I know that there's another level where I can possibly succeed because I'm excelling at the level I'm currently at, right? Because you don't want to be the the big fish in the little pond. You want to be a small fish in a big pond and then eventually the big fish of that pond and so on and so forth. Sure, sure, sure. I, I kind of agree that draft in Nats was a little bit weird. Like, Monarch draft is fun. I actually like Monarch draft. Mm -hmm. I do not love Monarch draft. It can feel mm -hmm. very swingy. I think that's my best word to describe it, sure. where you have like strong heroes like Chain that can make their soul shackles and just banish nothing, and they're just running out of cards and they can easily be fatigued even if their deck is really strong. Or heroes like Prism that are kind of easier to draft and everyone goes for them, but because everyone goes for them, now all their decks suck because you have like four Prisms in the pod and they're all cannibalizing each other. Mm -hmm. and opponents can like pack one pick one those poppers and suddenly prisms like blown out because of a couple key cards that the opponents were able to draft yeah like the idea of draft pools and like what is the quality of the cards that you pulled at your little table in your pod can sometimes make a huge difference when we did our monarch practice draft i felt incredible three prisms were all sitting right next to each other cannibalized each other a bunch I was one of two Leviathans, and I was like, I should have an incredible matchup into these prisms. Sure. Every prism got a Dreamweavers and a Halo, <laughs> and I didn't get my hooves. Uh, <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, that's just what happens sometimes. And yeah. even though my deck wasn't that bad, I also never saw a Dread Screamer. I only had one blue Dread Screamer in my draft deck. Like, mm -hmm. that's the equipment, even, are a part of that, right? Like, yeah. in Monarch Draft, those equipment, you almost have to have those key equipments in order to 3 0 sure. a draft. Whereas in Outsiders, the equipment are nice, but they're definitely like peripheral. Like, you don't really yeah. need more than one Seeker's equipment, and you're gonna get at least one. There's so many of them running around. Like, Outsider's Draft is less focused on specific cards that you need in order to succeed the draft, and Monarch is like, you need that equipment, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I'll comment on something you said, Fuzzy, about Chain specifically, like, banishing really horribly. I noticed that, like, you know, in the first couple of turns while I'm soul shackling, I can set up the last soul shackle mm -hmm. with what I pitch. Oh yeah. But I'm at the mercy of whatever I banish like early on. Like I remember my very first chain game, the only chain in the pod, and I banish all four of my arcanic crackles and mm. like two of my poppers against a prism. And I'm like, at what point am I am I supposed to, you know, start succeeding in this game? Yeah. And I, I feel like where I lost, all four of those games had some element of that. Which I don't want to take away from the fact that I could definitely use more draft practice, but mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe I get more blood deck cards or whatever, but I also want a good bit of like arcane damage and generic stuff with go again. So it's a, it's a mixed bag, but at some point it just feels like, man, I have no agency in this game left. Yeah. I've, it's been so weird because my, we'll get to how my weekend went, but mm -hmm. like, I really felt flesh and blood variants at this tournament more so than at any other point in my playing career. Mm -hmm. And so it's so interesting because even right before going to nationals, I was reading tweets and posts from other content creators and 
even some larger names in the scene who were saying Flesh and Blood is like one of the lowest variance card games. Yeah. And somehow it didn't feel that way at all. <laughs> I felt mm-hmm. some of the highest variance I've ever felt in card games. And I've played Magic and got like seven lands and then mulliganed into seven lands. It's yeah. like that's happened to me. And I still feel like Flesh and Blood was higher variance this weekend. So it's very odd that it's both this extremely low variance game where you get to see all the cards in your deck, but at the exact same time, it could be so high variance in these other ways. Yeah. I definitely have more to say about it that I feel like really relates to my experience too. Mm-hmm. So let me just step in then and continue with my experience <laughs> and then we'll go into you know how your guys' weekend went. So Yeah, that uh, might even be a full pitch topic later. Definitely. We mm-hmm. can talk for a long time about variance. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another thing I really enjoyed about this weekend is seeing a lot of the personalities that I've been following up leading up to Nats, like preparing, like watching their videos. Like, uh, I saw Mansant like up and close, but I was like, I, I passed to him. I was in <laughs> yeah, pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard. He, yeah. he actually went up, I was sitting next to him and he leaned over to me and he said, Hey, do you mind when you pass the packs, put it on the lip of my play mat so it's easy to grab? <laughs> wow. And I said, ditto. <laughs> that's so man <man-sant. laughs> that's also so fuzzy yeah right? true ditto yeah I saw um, also uh, Jonathan Suarez from uh, was it Game Nights or Command no the Command Zone excuse me mm-hmm. um, watched him for a long time but I was just like I feel so weird about coming up to these personalities and saying hi I'm like oh my god I'm a fan mm-hmm. like I feel like I get that a lot so I was just like I'm not doing that I saw Josh Lau mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. big fan of him too because he's a, war- a warrior god uh, and I was just like, nope, not doing it. I'm not being that guy. I'm just yeah. going to stay in my lane. I can say hi in top eight, whatever. Oh, I had the weirdest interaction with one of the guys from Three Floating. There was a situation <laughs> where my game had to move mm. for accessibility reasons. Mm. And so me and my opponent were walking over and he was sitting there alone at the table waiting for his opponent who wasn't going to come. He needed to go move. The judge explained the whole situation. And while we're all just sort of milling about, I'm like, Hey, love the content. And I reach out to shake his hand and he gives me the fist bump. And oh, I just no. <laughs> Oh, I just rolled with it, man. I figured out that like you don't even worry about that. You don't go back and forth. No, 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 no. I grabbed his fist. I shook it. <laughs> I gave him I gave him a little tip of the cap. <laughs> alpha moves. You just roll with it, man. You can't. I would die. You instantly. can't do anything about it. I would shrivel up in a ball. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's funny. We're just like you. <laughs> I also met this uh, really cool dude, uh, Matt Pollitt, who I think won uh, a couple of ProQuests with uh, Chain back in the day. I'm almost positive he LL Chain, but he had this, like, uh, like you know the weapon, the brute weapon, Rock? He mm-hmm. had, like, a necklace, like a glass-blown necklace, and I was like, what is that? Where did you get it? He actually makes them, too. Like Crazy. He has an Instagram, I think, uh, Dispersion Glass, so... Um, I'm definitely going to be picking that up, hopefully before this airs and every, you know everyone else has a chance <laughs> to get it because uh, I want mine. But yeah, we're really going to push the traffic to his page. I mean, I just thought I'd give a shout out. I thought it was really cool. No, um, yeah. There's a, so many creators that were there where I'm just like, like not only is the Fab community community amazing in its own right, but seeing the people who are at the top in terms of like exposure also being very kind and yeah, uh, fun to play against. It's it was just really refreshing for me. I, it was. Definitely something I was concerned about, like, you know, never meet your heroes type thing. None of these people are my heroes. Like, they're just regular people. But um, meeting these, you know, 
high high profile people were uh, was yeah. really cool. Can it's... we quote you on that, Joel? <laughs> None of these people are my heroes. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. You're I welcome mean, to. <laughs> I really get it, right? Because it's it's we have a parasocial relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. It helps. Sometimes we even have online relationships with them. We're like we're commenting on their videos, maybe even getting into conversations with them. Yeah, I had a fun time meeting some people that I've only talked to on Discord. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And getting to see these people who live in different states, we would never meet if it weren't for these big fab conventions where we get to hang out and enjoy the game together. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And the fab community is so small that, like, that can just happen by accident. Mm-hmm. Right. You could just, I very regularly, I was just sitting in the hall or, like, playing a little game, and I look over and I go, oh, there's Red Zone Rogue. <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, Brendan Patrick, I think I pointed out yeah. to you from Arsenal Pass. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, he's right there. Yeah. yeah. And I just sort of look over and go, oh, there's that content creator that I watch like every single week. <laughs> yeah. Very fun. And the mm-hmm. uh, the last thing I'll say, and I'll pass it off. There are so many graded cards. I was so like a, many. I was like in a, a kid in a candy shop. I was like foaming at the mouth. Like, oh, my God. Cold foil gambles gloves. I've never seen this in person before. <laughs> so seeing all these old cards in one place was really bizarre to me because I'm like in, you know, in magic, it's rare to see people with duels. And now you see people with like. These, you know, cold foil first ed editions. It was just really cool to see. And it gets me excited about investing more in this game other than like with my time. Um, maybe that's like more irresponsible and I should like hold off, but I, I just couldn't resist. I didn't get anything, but I was really trying to trade for it and see like what, you know, was affordable, I guess. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a lot of really a lot of fun looking at these cards. Yeah. Um, I've been talking a lot. Fuzzy, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Of course, Joel. So I also had the privilege of playing at U.S. Nationals because I played in like one CCRTN and got top four somehow. Yeah, you did it the hard way. Yeah, by going to one (laughs) event. I guess I did two. Anyway. I mean, you won, right? Yeah. Or like you like made top four and you you qualified. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I still feel like... You qualify through XP, which I feel like is the hard way because it's such a time commitment. You yeah, have to you go to like grind. three armories a week for a couple months. That's hard. Uh, five, but yeah, same, <laughs> same difference. Because I, well, I also started at like zero XP. I had a lot of really, uh, a lot of more experienced players like tell me like, okay, you got to grind this much or like this much XP and you'll be in there. So I just followed their advice, and it was, it was a huge time commitment and money because like armories and gas and whatnot, but. Um, I just wanted to like double down in case I didn't do well in RTNC, which I did not. So, so I was at Nats, and I was trying not to stress out too much about it. I got to play at the AGE Invitational, which was a really cool experience. So I've been playing like a lot of competitive fab in the sense that like I was practicing a whole bunch for the AGE and for Nats. So by the time Nats actually rolled around, I was a little bit like tired. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like wore myself out a little bit. Um, I was lucky enough to qualify for day two, which I feel super jazzed about. Mm-hmm. I get to go home and say like, well, I'm at least better than all the people who didn't qualify for day <laughs> one. But now I have to put a really fat asterisk there <laughs> because in CC, bold that asterisk, I went 2-2, you mm-hmm. know, like very mid. And in the draft rounds, out of those three rounds, I won a round, lost a round, and then got a bye. <laughs> because someone in, my, so, someone in my draft pod like dropped so I only won three rounds <laughs> and got like fourth win on a bye so that was a little bit lucky and it was enough to get me to qualify to day two 
So I very barely qualified, but I qualified, you know, I got myself to the point where I could get the buy, you know. We take those. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, in the CC rounds, I played, I was playing Briar. I've been playing Briar since January, since ProQuest season, and I picked Briar with some intention. It's a hero that I really enjoyed the playstyle of, playing lots of non-attacks and attacks, getting explosive value out of Channel Mount Heroic, and pouring tons of damage, breaking the limit for what is possible in a single turn of Flesh and Blood on the regular. I love Briar for that kind of gameplay. She's also a hero that relies on you drawing cards at a certain time, and not drawing certain cards together. Like, if you draw all non-attacks, then you're not able to do much with your hand. And if you're playing Sonata Arcanix, for example, or Crown of Dominion with Cashin, you can whiff on those cards completely by, like, flipping nothing important off of Sonata or not drawing Cashin at all, and suddenly your headpiece doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I picked Briar knowing that she is a high-variance hero, because variants can be an asset to somebody who's trying to break into the competitive scene and succeed where you know you have less skill. Consistency is something that skilled players want, and variants can be something that newcomers or less skilled players can want because it allows them to high roll, right? If you're going into a tough matchup, be that a player with more skill or a hero that you know you're not going to do well against, if you draw cash in, you can still win a game, even if you are the underdog. So variance being something that I knew going in was something to help me as a newcomer to the competitive scene was very intentional. Fast forward seven months later, I am no longer enjoying having <laughs> a high variance hero. Because I keep drawing hands where I know I'm playing a matchup that I should be able to win, but because I'm drawing so badly, I lose the game, and I feel like a more consistent hero would at least allow me to show my skill, right? I feel like I'm a little bit tired of Briar. I've been playing her for long enough. I've just drawn one too many (laughs) non-attack action hands. And look, I know what hero I'm playing, you know? I recognize that that's a risk that comes with playing Briar, but I mean... I just kind of got tired of it, and I was, I'm was i kind of ready to move on. At the end of day one, I basically decided that after Nats, I was going to switch to a different hero, regardless of if Briar hit Living Legend. And speaking of which, here we are. Ding dong, ding dong, the <laughs> Wicked Witch is dead. It looks like I will, as come September 19th, I won't be able to play Briar at all anyway, so... <laughs> I mean, you did milk her for all she's worth. Yeah, I got a lot of value out of her. I used her to qualify for Nat, so mm-hmm. I used her to qualify for the AGE Invitational. I've been playing nothing but Briar for eight months, and I'm ready for something new. Now, it would have been a little bit better if you qualified with her and then played a different hero for, you know, shits and gigs, but it makes sense that, like, you want to reap the benefits of being a one-trick for so long. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to use a hero that I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do well with anyone else. I just don't have the practice. Yeah. So going to start practicing now with some other stuff. I'm also going to chill out a little bit. I don't really want to take the game too seriously for at least like a month. And we'll see what happens after that. Sure. You know? Yeah, wait till Bright Lights comes around and we get that whole season. I really hope it shakes with the meta. I'm, I'm ready for a change. Now, I want to tell you guys a story that you've heard before Okay. in terms of this national championship and Briar as a hero. So you guys know how Briar plays, right? Mm-hmm. She plays Channel Mount Heroic, she plays a bunch of zero cost cards, mm-hmm. some non-attacks, some pumps, mm-hmm. and she pushes incredible damage. She's an aggro deck, right? 
Well, in this meta, with Lexi, Icelander, Bravo, Dromai, a team, a very smart collective handful of people recognized that there's this build with Briar that relies on the power of Crown of Seeds and Embodiment of Earth to fatigue anyone that isn't expecting it. It was a underdog deck that had this hero who had been on the cusp of hitting Living Legend for like six months. They take this underdog build, completely different than the way the heroes traditionally played, and they used it to win a major tournament and push that hero into Living Legend. And I think that's a great story. It's not something that I really hear people framing like that, but it's really amazing to me. And I think that's really cool. I thought it was, yeah, I, I agree. It's an amazing story and I thought it was really smart. For, uh, and I think it exemplifies a strategy that's not really popular in mm -hmm. Flesh and Blood just yet. And that's just trying new builds. Yeah. Like for mm -hmm. the most part, the meta is defined by who does the best and basically do you play that or do you counter that? And that's, I feel like that's the way that most people play. Yeah. But at the top, there are certain players that are able to recognize, hey, mm -hmm. I think this deck has the best matchups, and especially because it's a surprise, right? It's like a dark horse. It's like nobody knows how to fight against Fatigue Briar. Mm -hmm. Nobody was expecting Fatigue Briar, and that's a serious advantage that these competitive players, Charles Dunn, was able to take advantage of. Yeah, I think that it's really interesting because the math was so nice. Apparently, that's how it was originally talked about on a lot of the discords, that this was math briar, mm -hmm. because it's simply about making the math nicer. Um, so I just think it's really cool, this like avant-garde build, winning in Nats, and with it, no one will get to really experiment with it. It, it leaves the meta as soon as it <laughs> entered. And that, there's something really badass about that. Yeah, that is really the most I'm him performance of the year. <laughs> Other than getting like 500 LL points in a year with uh, <laughs> Michael Hamilton and Icelander. Uh -huh. that, those two rival each other, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. One other thing I want to talk about, my experience with Nats. This is my first time, this is the biggest tournament I've ever been in. Um, I did the calling in Baltimore and I had a similar experience but it was especially weird seeing it in nationals, which is supposed to be like something that only skilled players can qualify for, supposedly. And that's not just, I'm not about to tell you that any of the players <laughs> at Nats were bad, but I did notice a big variance in skill level and deck choice, you know? Like, I wasn't expecting a lot of Azuri to show up, but I fought two of them, you know? I wasn't really expecting a lot of Briar to show up, but I fought two of them. I did not get paired up against Lexi or Dromai or Icelander in any of the four CC games that I played. Mm. Just because there's so many people, you're going to have a wide variety of play styles and hero choices, and there's a chance that you just don't go up against whatever you were expecting. There's just this incredible variance that you can luck into or unluck into, and you never really know what you're going to come up against day one of Nats. And that was surprising to me. Yeah, I actually heard, I heard of a funny story where this Bravo uh, brought fatigue, hoping to find Lexi's, didn't get paired into any, and just found its worst matchups. Like mm -hmm. Azuri, other Bravos, Jeromai. It was just, yeah. So I, I, I agree. It is interesting like what people think will do great in the meta and bring it anyways regardless of whether or not you're going to find your worst matchup there like bringing azuri i felt was a little risky because yes you have this amazing lexi matchup probably a non-matchup but you're risking going against bravo and dromai which i feel like are pretty unfavored for you dromai especially i don't know sure. about 
Bravo, I think that's more of a skill intensive matchup. But overall, that choice just seems kind of bold. But hey, if you qualify, you, you can do whatever you want because you're already there. And it's not so now you can kind of play it in a bubble instead of playing in a calling where like people will bring more dark horses or just strictly meta stuff. So it, it's a it's a weird call to make, like what mm -hmm. what deck to bring, but you can I, definitely see the variance in play styles. I've heard Brendan Patrick on Arsenal Pass describe it as a gem meta. In other words, that your wins and losses are very much influenced by who you pair up against in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Compared to a like chain meta or a starvo meta, where there's a clear dominant hero that everyone's either playing or playing around. Interesting. So there's a much less variance in a meta where there's one or two strong decks. Whereas right now, there's a lot of viable decks that on their own level, on their own merit, and so you have lots of different heroes, and it's really hard to come up with a plan when you have no idea who you're going to be paired up against. Yeah, and once again, there's that conversation about variance and mm -hmm. like where the variance of the game comes in in common in matchups. Yeah, more so than anything that happens in the game itself. And you're going to feel that even more in like a calling situation, situation where it's a big tournament that anyone can enter, or the battle hardened. I'm sure you came up against that, Clark. I don't want to steal your thunder for your pitch, but... <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about it. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I was surprised to see that even at Nationals, the mm -hmm. uh, qualify-only tournament. I want to talk about some other fun things that happened to step away from Nats itself for a little bit. Um, I got to play the Midwinter Cube by the OKNY podcast guys. Um, the original... I had brought my copy, because I'm a fan, <laughs> and they were like going to play their cube. And then I got to be invited and sit down to play. And we were waiting for the cube to get there <laughs> because, like... You need it was, eight people. No, it was at the hotel. We had mm. the eight people. But someone had ran to go, like, get the cube and bring it back. And we were just waiting there. And I go, I have my copy right here. And Oliver, who was in charge of running the cube, says, but do you have the 3.3 update that we haven't released? And I go, no! <laughs> 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 Not the 3.3 update. I am only on 3.2. <laughs> or it's like, I had 3.1 and it was the 3.2 unreleased. I, I whiffed the joke, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, had, we do end up playing my copy because we didn't want to wait that long. And then we immediately got to follow up with the new updated version. It was only a couple small edits, but mm -hmm. their version's also like sleeved up better and they have like fancy sleeves for their tokens. Yeah, so. they, I, I walked over there while you were doing it, and they had, like, these really cool borders to all their cards. Oh, yeah. I'm like, man, Fuzzy, you're brokey. No, just kidding. <laughs> I felt brokey. Because <laughs> <laughs> they had the Fen uh, Fendel Spring Tunic sleeves as well. I played against Oliver, and I embarrassed myself by trying to do Ether Wildfire combos on my own turn. <laughs> Did you guys know Ether Wildfire doesn't do the buff on your turn? It's only on your opponent's turn. Said I did not know that because I don't bother playing. I said it once. I'm gonna say it twice. I'm gonna say it a third time. Reading the card explains <laughs> the card. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't think I needed to read the card. Everyone <laughs> knows what Ether Wildfire does. You play it, you win the game. <laughs> so I felt a little bit embarrassed, especially because I owned this cube. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then I also got to play their bento box, which is like a two-person ninja cube, and that was really cool. Like being able to draft two players really takes like hate drafting to a new level where you know what your opponent is drafting. And there's different combo lines in ninja too. So if you take Surging Strike and Mugenshi release, your opponent has a good reason to take Whelming Gust Wave. And when we were doing this quilt draft, basically your the choices that you make 
influence what choices and card picks your opponents are able to make. So you might not want to make a card. To, you might not want to pick a card if it allows your opponent to grab the whelming gust wave that you need, because you want to make sure that's reserved for yourself. Very interesting draft decisions. Mm. The draft was almost more fun than actually playing with these ninja decks, but that was also fun. <laughs> so I'm probably going to make a copy of the bento box. It was inevitable. I already knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I also want to talk about Team Sealed. We were pretty hyped for Team Sealed going into the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, we yeah. all got matching t-shirts yeah. and we rolled up with our Team Sealed. We would say, hi, nice to meet you. We're Pitch It To Me Podcast. Take a business card. It also works as a resource counter. Look, one, two, one, two. <laughs> I don't think I ever did that. <laughs> Fuzzy did. It was awesome. At he, the start of a game? Oh, he, he killed it every time. Oh, man. I always did it at the end of a game. Mm. I never did it at the oh, start I did it of the game. I wasn't able to give out the cards at the beginning of every game. Because sometimes I was feeling extra sweaty, you know, at the beginning. <laughs> I didn't want to be the sweaty guy that hands a business card, but the fun guy that hands a business card, that works out. I was pretty happy with Team Sealed. I can say that every single one of my games, there was five rounds, I was able to win my game. Sheesh. And I think that's also, I did take some of the good hybrids and generics that really worked for me. So I'm, I feel like you worded that in a way that kind of makes us sound like the chumps. Rather than, like, a good thing for you, it's like, well, I didn't lose any of my game. All, rather than, all, I won all my games. I'll go on the record and say, we didn't go 5-0 because I lost all of my games. No, you won one. Oh, I did win one. But you I lost one. four of them, one of them being... The Decider. The Decider, yeah. Yeah, I I don't blame the situation. We'll, we'll, I'll talk more about the Team Sealed specifically. Well... Well, I was going to say, like, Joel, I think you would have done a little better if you just had, like, a piece of Seekers equipment, mm -hmm. you know? Because um, yeah, you had... Our, our pool was garbage. You were forced to run, like, a yellow piece of mind and a blue piece of mind. And those cards are not good. But if you could have had a Seekers equipment to follow up, it would have given you ops for your Azalea deck. You could have done a lot better. We were pretty close to 5 0 that pot, that that event. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was tough. But um, I got carried to, you know, 4-1. You know, the worst things could have happened. We could have went, like... Oh and five. I oh, went yeah. second on Benji every single game, and I think that's part of why I won. Second on Benji is over is underrated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We also got nine hundred prize tickets out of that. I was surprised by how expensive the team sealed was. Yeah. I kept being like, how much was team sealed? And Joel would be like, thirty-five. And I'm like, oh, okay. No, no, no. I would say thirty-five <laughs> each every time. <laughs> he did. And, you're like, and you're like, oh, okay. So I'll say fifteen. Hear, thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thirty-five each. Each. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'll send you fifteen because eleven thirty three is yeah. weird. I'm and then like, we got, and then we got like eight packs, and everyone was like, shouldn't we be getting like nine or ten? And it's like, no, LSS put out an article, eight packs. I feel like they moved it from eight to eight from seven. I feel like it used to be seven. It was. I think it was, it was seven. Less? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's why. Because it's also like fatigue and team sealed can be really strong. There's nothing stopping you from just like shoving a bunch of cards in your Riptide deck and just like blocking out. And yeah, I got fatigued twice, I think. Yeah. And if you had, if we had extra booster, you could have just, they could have just slammed more cards into that yep. deck. Yeah. I guess. So I might host more team sealed events at my house in the future. I had a blast. Yeah, it was fun. I don't. We'll send the yeah. taste test data to LSS, so they do 10, ten sealed packs. <laughs> and it was really fun playing with you two, I gotta be honest, you're my boys. It was a big That highlight. was a lot of fun. It like, was the last thing that we did, the hall was pretty much empty by the time that we like 
got around to mm-hmm. like standing up and being done with it all. Yeah, but collaborating on different decks and like you know like oh I, should, I think you should mm-hmm. do that. Strategizing on each match was so much fun. Yeah, I did a similar event, uh, a team blitz event with um, Del Taco and his wife. Uh, I think last year in Vegas. That was a lot of fun. I never thought I'd be able to do that again. So doing it again with you guys was, yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's about all I got. Those are my favorite memories and my big thoughts. Clark, why don't you take it away with the blue pitch? Sure. So the first thing I want to say is, um, man, I did not expect to be that busy. <laughs> I went to Nats and I was like, there's going to be a bunch of time for like, just sitting around and like talking to random people or like, hey, after this uh, event, do you want to like go grab lunch? Do you want to like sit down and like just jam some games, mm-hmm. play some silly decks? Maybe I can find a random UPF pod going around. <laughs> no, events all the time, constantly. Yeah. Go, 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 go. <laughs> On day two, I dropped from draft after and didn't play the rest. And I just vibed for like two hours and it felt great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no more events for a couple hours. I'm just going to vibe. It was very intentional. You have to be intentional. Oh, mm-hmm. I had that at the start. So like you guys at Nats, you guys need to get there sooner. I was, I've been struggling with insomnia for the past month. So like I woke up a little bit later, I got to the hall a little bit later and I was like, oh man, I miss all the noon events. Then I just sat there and I twiddled my thumb for a couple hours. Mm. The other friends that we were with were like, hey, we're going to go walk around. Can you watch the $1,000 worth of cards and food that we have at this table? And I was like, sure. So I just sat there and I waited for them to get back. And then I stood up and I walked around. And it's like, what am I even doing right now? Like, I guess I can start trading cards. So I started trading cards. And then I'm like going to multiple different shops. I'm running back and forth across the like little shop alley there. And then it's like, oh, man, I need to sign up for my CC event. That's coming up soon. I go up to the front, sign up for the CC event. I bounce back. I'm buying cards. I'm bouncing all around. Next thing you know, it's like 10 p.m. And I'm like, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Bro, I did not stop playing Flesh and Blood for hours. (laughs) Conventions are crazy. I did not expect it. It was my this was my first ever convention ever. Like, even though I have been a weeb since like middle school. I've never gone to an anime convention. I've never I've never done any big fan meetup, big event like this. So this it was pretty wild and I was not expecting how high paced it was going to be. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it well enough. Would you like recommend flesh and blood events like this to the average flesh and blood player? I mean, it really depends on where you are in your life and like what you're able to emotionally and socially handle. Sure. That's how I'd put it. <laughs> Um, so I was able to have a very solid emotional base coming with so many of you guys, so many friends and, uh, really who I consider my family Mm -hmm. that helped me feel very stable and felt like I always had someone around. But like, if I was a more introverted person going to one of these for the very first time and not knowing anyone, I think it would be so overwhelming Mm. that I would say, don't get one of the packages, like just buy event at a time like wait until you feel ready to do an event then buy it and go do it or like schedule your week but schedule with a lot of downtime so that you can be alone and rest and and recuperate Mm -hmm. because i think if i was in a slightly different situation i would be so overwhelmed that like the weekend would have been a lot worse wow yeah well i'm glad you were able to go with people you consider family and be able to enjoy it, whereas you might not otherwise been able to. Certainly, yeah. Because I'm on the other side of the spectrum, right? At least for the past few years, I'm just like telling everybody, 
fucking go for it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just like, if there's a cool experience, like it, and I, uh, there's this funny phrase I like that people, uh, like you use like, uh, dad lore, which is like <laughs> use, just stories for when you have, you know, yeah. offspring of your own. Um, <laughs> Just, yeah, just go out and do stuff like this. It's so important. Exactly. Yeah. Like I think if left to my own devices, I wouldn't like go out of my way to go to nationals unless I qualified like I did. But being able to go with friends, I was like, yeah, instantly send it. Cause I missed out on uh, worlds early this year for some reasons that I think like now I should have just been like, send it. It's, it's worlds. It's probably never going to be in San Jose ever again. Mm -hmm. So when it was in Vegas, I'm like, I'm going, I don't care if I qualify or not. I have to go. These events are a little bit easier for a newer or less enfranchised player than you might expect. Mm -hmm. Like when I first heard of these things, I'm like, oh, big tournaments? I only go if I'm a big tournament player. But no, like you can be anybody and find an event that you will enjoy and be glad that you came for. And just surrounding yourself with flesh and blood is kind of fun. Yeah, and speaking of that, I was able to do a lot more side events. And like I think I got around the convention hall a little bit more than you guys. Mm -hmm. Like I said, Joel, I didn't see you for the first two days. You were pretty much locked in on nationals. Yeah. Uh, But I was able to run around and do a lot. I was able to do the CC plus event. I did the calling. I did the blitz plus event and then the team sealed event. But even if like I had a deck, I could have done commoner. I could have done shapeshifter sealed if I got Mm -hmm. to a day a little bit earlier. So like there are a lot of options for you, even if you don't feel like you have the great, most powerful, most OP deck, even if you're not this big tournament player, there's a lot that you can play. And the on-demand drafts are great. I would like to see them add like on-demand UPF. I would love to see them add some like just maybe just a communal board where like you can say, Hey, we're going to set up at this table or like the tournament organizers say these tables are available for the neck for this time period. Right. We're not going to hold any events at these tables and anyone can write down what they want to do and set themselves up at a table and just let people walk up and play. I think that'd be wonderful. It's funny you say that, uh, anime expo. I've been to a couple times. They have very similar setup where they have like arcade games. You can, you know, give them five bucks to get mm-hmm. a little wristband, play whatever. And then there's a lot of free space. Like I, I brought my magic decks for some reason. I was playing like commander games. Yeah. So that w- I think that'd be a great idea. I think it's a little hard to justify because towards the like probably Saturday, early Sunday, all the tables were being used. There's like maybe one or two that were being yeah. utilized. So it'd be a bigger event hall, and you'd have to like justify it somehow with cost because you know lss is still a relatively small company compared to something like you know magic the gathering Mm -hmm. but i would love to see that incorporated because one of the things that i was struggling with is like after i was you know done playing nats and ready to go into the events and i'm sure you felt this way more because you were walking around more often is just there were a ton of areas to like sit down if you weren't in an event at some times yeah. And so my legs were killing me, you know. Yeah, by at, a, at a certain point, like everything seemed full. Thankfully, there was a little outdoor, or like a, I guess you'd call it like a lobby area mm-hmm. where they did have some tables. I saw quite a few casual games happening out there. Sure. But I would like there to be a little bit of a framework for somebody who's like, look, I don't, like, yes, I have the money to go to Vegas, but I don't quite have the money to like play in all these events. And mm-hmm. I don't like that high paced stuff. Mm-hmm. So I much rather just sort of set up with a cube in a corner. Yeah. Or set up with uh, and like do UPF and just invite people to try out UPF or Commoner or Clash even. Like, 
anything like that. Just uh, a structure for people to set what they want to do and not have to follow what the tournament organizers have set in place. Um, I didn't mean to talk quite so much about that. I kind of want to talk about how my weekend went for Flesh and Blood. <laughs> Let's hear it. Not good. <laughs> not good, gamers. I went 2-2 in the CC Plus event. I went 2-4 in the Calling, and I went 2-3 in the Blitz Plus event. Like, I was down on the weekend until Team Sealed rolled around. Um, I brought Viserai, very similarly to Fuzzy. I essentially said, okay, this is the hero I know. This is the hero I've been playing for months. I landed on a list I felt pretty good about. I tested it all right and all right amount. I did quite a bit of Talishar testing as well as going to some armories, and I did very well with those armories. I 4-0'd the Wednesday before I went to Nats. Clark kicked the ever-loving poop out of me. <laughs> I played cash in turn one and dealt and presented 37 damage. Turn one. Took the tempo. I rolled over that game. Fuzzy was like two channel mount heroics, throw an exude confidence, and I'm like, take it. I'm taking it, bitch. I got I got 30 more life than you. I do not give a fuck about this exude confidence. Jesus. I didn't play cash in once this weekend. I played four plus six. I played ten games a CC. I ran Crown of Dominion. In eight of them, I did not play cash-in once. It was brutality. Mm. I felt the high rolls so bad. Like, it made me want to stop playing the game. Yeah. Um, Blitz was also rough. I, like, did a bunch of trades to put together a Leviathan deck and, like, update my Leviathan deck for the, with all the new Dustedon cards. Mm -hmm. And I just got rolled by Vincets. Four defense reactions, both red pummels. They threw, the, I mean, it, uh, even the Vincets I played against were like, I high rolled so hard against you, dude. <laughs> mm -hmm. They were like, I had a Mobrian Skies or a Shadow Puppetry every turn. Runeblade players will do that. They'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. I just I just got really lucky those draws. I'm <laughs> sorry so that you had to be to the guy. You, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I just, I got steamrolled. And probably the funniest event from these games was I, I was playing against one guy. And he throws down the, he throws down the second red pummel to win the game. And I put my hands, my face in my hands. <laughs> and I'm just rubbing my brow like, bro, this has been my whole weekend. It's been my whole weekend, bro. I'm not seeing any of my power cards. Everyone's getting multiple power cards against me. They're getting their perfect blocks off when they exactly when they need it. And I'm like, bro, it's just, it's been all weekend for me. And he goes, are you, are you going to come back? And I was like, well, I have a podcast. <laughs> I have to come back. I'm in it now. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> it was a great segue into giving him the business card. Oh my word, that's hilarious. <laughs> like I said that, I literally pulled out the wallet, took out the business card, handed it to him. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to be here. Here's my podcast. He's like, this is my job now. <laughs> this is, oh this is what I have to do. That is so funny. I think we ran into him too in the yeah. team sealed. <laughs> it was it was the fifth game of team sealed. The team sealed was also that really helped turn it around in, in the whole event on a positive note, though. 
I was feeling really bad that I had spent all this money on the package with the event tickets. Mm-hmm. That I didn't get a lot of prize tickets out of that. And so I was like, wow, I like really lost a lot of money here because I didn't play well and I got high rolled. And I was feeling really bad. And we go to Team Sealed and I see our pool and I'm like, bro, we got fucking nothing. <laughs> no, we got one Majestic that like wasn't even a great one. Yeah, it was really hard to use the Majestic that I pulled. I could have probably done some Mask of Many Faces shenanigans to pull it off. I'm just thinking about that now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. You, you win 5-0, so you're fine. Yes, that was. <laughs> um, I was really proud of us in Team Sealed. Yeah. I was proud of you, too. <laughs> I was kind of just like the magic. You look so professional when you play, too. It was really fun being able to talk about plays with you in the middle of the game. Mm-hmm. I feel like I haven't said this out loud. And you haven't said this out loud, but I feel like in the moment you were resenting my advice a little bit. Dude, I, <laughs> I got shafted both times I listened to you. I'd be like, I think this play might have some merit, and you would do the play, and then it would totally blow up in your face. <laughs> also, Fuzzy's the reason we lost. No. <laughs> I stand by a lot of my advice, especially because it's fucking, what are you going to do? Sometimes your plays work and sometimes they don't. You have to play mm-hmm. for certain edges and mm-hmm. outs, and sometimes it doesn't work, so. I just need to go with my gut, man. Like, I, I keep Your gut it, was ask fuzzy. No. <laughs> <laughs> the second part of my gut. My lower intestines. I do want to talk a little bit about my favorite moments. Yeah, yeah. Um, go for it. I really love the sense of community that I felt at the event, at Nationals. Mm-hmm. I Every single person I sat down and played against was polite, was fun, was willing to banter with me. Um, even in like more competitive calling environments, they were always willing to toss jokes. We were making little comments back and forth at each other. We were always talking after the game about what, how we could have played better. I don't think I've ever felt this sense of community from any other hobby I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and people came from all over. I played against so many people from New Orleans, from the East Coast. Like, it was so great. A ton of people from the Midwest. Very robust. Yeah. Seeing out there in the Midwest. A lot of people came from the Midwest. I'm going to put my name on it, dude. I think Flesh and Blood has a very high concentration of high IQ individuals with high, <laughs> high EQ individuals. And, it like, you... I'll put my money on it. You will probably never find a better TCG to be a part of community-wise. I think Flesh and Blood is just a little bit older. I don't think I've also been in any hobby situation where I've met so many parents and uh, husbands. Yeah. Like, so many people in, like, committed long-term relationships and with I mean, kids. that's fair, but they're killers, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. they'd be winning callings and stuff. Yeah. You know? um, but I was definitely surprised by that, and I really felt the sense of community. Mm-hmm. I also loved buying all the peripherals at the events. I think that's an underrated thing. Uh, Metal Fab Tokens was there. And I, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought the Viscerai dice. Let's go. I brought. I bought the little resource tokens. Yeah. I bought a Viscerai pin for my backpack. I got all <laughs> decked out in Viscerai stuff. Uh, Steve Argyle was there. I got to get some cards signed by him. Like I had mentioned, I bought the new... Uh, Leviah card, and so he signed that for me. Oh, dope. He signed my Viscerai hero for me, and uh, I also got the playmat that you get from Nationals signed by him. Uh, And so that was wonderful. It really made me feel like I was playing with, like, fancy stuff. I felt... It's... 
I don't like this phrase, but I felt like more of a real flesh and blood player, right? Okay. Like, I felt like I leveled up. Sort of like when you start playing with sleeves for the first time. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, I'm a real player. <laughs> I was like, I spent money on peripherals. I'm a real player now. I think many people would agree with you out of pure cope. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels it feels good to, like, step up and invest in for hobbies. Sure. Yeah. And I love that there are people like Metal Fab Tokens, that artists do come out to help give you that sense of investing in the hobby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I would say I really enjoyed like the artisans coming together. Like I mentioned uh, Dispersion Glass already with mm. his like rock necklace. Like I'm pr- like, there's no reason for me to have that. I want it so bad. <laughs> yeah. And it's the creators that come to these events like and vendors too that just like, man, mm. I need... Oh, I, I actually bought um, not only a... Levia t-shirt from Metal Fab Tokens, but I got this like um, action point token too, where mm-hmm. like keeps tracks of your scapskin rolls and oh, stuff like cool. that. Yeah, super happy about that. Yeah. Um, I also think that like, I'd love to see more of it in the future mm-hmm. of, of that sort of stuff. And I think that would also really help the community of feeling like there's a lot going on there. Uh, more than just, you know, shop selling singles. I think it'd be great yeah. to see more peripheral shops mm-hmm. show up. Even like people with Etsy's who just get a small little booth. I think I think it'd be wonderful. And the final thing I want to mention, the highlight of the event, <laughs> we met a fan. <laughs> we I met a fan. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ended up running into him at any point during the event, but someone walk up walked up to me and goes, Pitch it to me podcast? And I'm like, who the fuck? <laughs> Were you, wait, were you wearing your shirt at that time? I was wearing my shirt, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And he goes, no, I love you guys, and I love the podcast. And he was telling us that he, like, loves how we break it into red, yellow, blue. What? And all the things that he appreciates. <laughs> he loves the logo. And I was like, this is the guy who did the logo right here. This is Han. And he goes, whoa, no way. I love your art. <laughs> and, like, it was only ever so, like, the tiny bit awkward of, like, you know, a random person needing to be like, hello, I am a fan of your work. And that's always a little strange. But it was so cool. I really didn't expect that. Fuzzy was like, we should mention that we're going to nationals and we're going to be wearing shirts with our faces on it. And we're putting all this into our marketing. And they're like, look out for us. We have our t-shirts on with the faces on them. And I'm like, no one's going to walk up to us. <laughs> like, our friends are our fans. <laughs> like, no one's going to come up to us. But we got one. And I didn't <laughs> see that coming. And it was such a wonderful, pleasant surprise. So you probably know who you are. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm not going to, like, say his name and, like, be like, he's the good fan. Everyone else is a bad <laughs> fan. If you were at Nationals and you did say hi to us, screw you. No, 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 no. I, we love all of our fans. That was just a special moment that I didn't think I was going to get to have. All right. With that being said, I think it's time to go ahead and move to our Arsenal Zone. Fuzzy, would you like to start us off? Sure. So... In our Arsenal Zone, we like to shout out a card that we've been thinking about lately. And I played two more Monarchs draft in Nationals than I played CC. And I kind of gained a deeper appreciation and loathing for Monarch draft. (laughs) (laughs) Where it kind of feels like I have to force Prism to do well. Partially because I'm lame and I don't know how to draft the other heroes. (laughs) Because I only draft Prism because I don't know how to draft the other heroes. It's it's cyclical, you know? It's a toxic cycle. And here I am, picking yellow blinding beam for the hundredth time in draft. (laughs) And that's what I like to shout out. (laughs) I have two copies of blinding beam that I drafted from Nationals. One from day one. 
and one from day two. Wow. <laughs> and Is of there course, anything special about these? They're stamped. Wow. Because at Nationals, they stamp all the cards that you draft. So I have a black stamp and a blue stamp from day one and day two that I'll be signing and giving to you guys. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny that it's yellow blinding beam because yellow is the draft chaff color. <laughs> but in Monarch Draft, a yellow isn't that bad to have. Sometimes your cards care about that. And a blinding beam will certainly get the job done. You won't mind playing yellow blinding beam if it turns a popper into a non-popper. And you can sneak in some games from Prism that way. I tried to do that, but my opponents outplayed the heck out of me. <laughs> and I dropped. <laughs> so <laughs> Blinding beam, I love ya. I'm happy to not play you for a while. <laughs> Distance makes a hard grow fonder. Here you go, boys. I love ya. Woo! Oh, thanks, thanks, Fuzzy. Fuzzy. Love, love you. you too. This card represents me drafting shitty prism decks. <laughs> I'll cherish it always. All right. For my arsenal zone, I already talked about. I'm gonna talk about it again. <laughs> Fucking cashing, <laughs> man. Like, bro, I just didn't have head equipment. I just didn't have a head equipment. I was just playing one equipment piece down the entire tournament because I never had cash in. It's funny because if you knew you weren't gonna have draw cash in, you would crack that gold token and like get a sweet, sweet free resource. Bro, I thought about it so often. <laughs> I thought about it so often. How many copies were you running? I was running two. That's a very healthy amount. It's a healthy amount. Even talking with other Viscerai players who were there, they're like, yeah, two's the right number to go for, man. Don't do three. Briar can run three because she can sometimes block for three with a cash in. Yeah. Because she cheats. It makes that a little <laughs> bit more valid. But no, it was it was crazy. Look, cash in is just the embodiment of these, like, you draw them and you got them, right? It's mm-hmm. power cards. I, In terms of aggro matchup, I've been thinking way more about power cards and like the deck with more power cards. The deck where the power cards help you get to other power cards. Mm-hmm. Like that's the stuff that really sort of puts one aggro deck above another aggro deck. It's not even damage output sometimes because if you're a good aggro deck, you're dealing more than 12 every single turn. Mm-hmm. They should be leaking damage. If they want to th- throw stuff back at you, then they definitely have to leak damage. So like cash in is so strong because it lets you draw cards. And specifically in Divisorai, it lets you draw stuff like Revel into Runeblood, Mordred Tide. And it so turns on your hero ability. And it turns on your hero ability. It's a great starter. That's what makes Cashin good. Not necessarily that, like, it's the power card, but also specifically it's a power card that draws. Yeah. Like, every single time I played against Alexei, they were like, three of a kind is good because whoever plays it first gets to their other three of a kind faster. Yeah. Gets to their other rain raisers, right? It accelerates you into your other power cards. It's tough because Viserai, like, has a tutor and then Cashin, and that's all of his card advantage. Can't really. even tutor for Cashin. You can yeah. only tutor for a Runeblade card. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you yeah. have you don't have a lot of ways to dig for it compared to Lexi digging for Art of War, Three of a Kind. I mean, like Sonata. That. Actually, I did see Cashin once <laughs> on a Sonata play when I was at two life. <laughs> I had, like, no life left, and I Sonata'd, and I flip. My first card I flip is Cashin, and the guy across the table goes, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> We were, we were pretty chill at that point. He was, like, up 10 life, and I was like, I'm just, I'm fighting for my life here. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Good old Cashin. Joel, what do you got for us? So I didn't. I was going to talk about it earlier, but I decided to save it. So in my second draft on day two of Nats, I was feeling really bad because of, well, no, I hadn't even started playing yet, but I was really nervous about my draft, about, you know, picking the right cards until the third pack came around and I saw Mark of the Beast, Extended Art, First Ed, Rainbow Foil, Blue Stamp. Oh. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> because I also saw Red Vexing Malice and Sonata Arcanics in the same pack. I'm choices like, were made. Choices were made. Sonata Arcanics is in Monarch? Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 dun. The more you know. <laughs> yeah. So that was definitely a feels bad. That Vexing Malice definitely could have helped win me the game, but I was so hyped because I was farming. Not farming. I was doing well with Leviathan, and the Leviathan's like probably inching over Bolton as like my favorite hero and I've been decking her out for the past couple of months. So seeing that, I was like, dude, instant slam. Obviously because that's money, right? Yeah, like I'm, yeah. I'm value drafting all day. Like I'm not top eight contention, barely 60, top 64 contention. So uh, also Mark of the Beast is pretty good in Leviathan. Like being able, like if you're running hooves with the Shadow Beast, you can play that, close a combat chain, get your action point back. Basically just says two for go again in some situations. And it's a one-card turn-off blood debt if your graveyard really sucks. I think it's a really versatile card. Uh, it also works with, like, blood or spells on your turn. If you discard it, you turn off blood debt for the turn. Oh, yeah. It's just, it mm -hmm. has a lot of, so that's the only reason why I haven't cut it. I'm at two right now, but anyways, Mark of the Beast, really cool card, and pulled it. I don't know what its valuation is at, but I'm not selling it because it's, again, going straight into my deck. It's swag. You play with your swag. Exactly. And it being also a keepsake for what I've accomplished this year in Flesh and Blood, it was like uh, somebody in the Discord was like, this is the best timeline because like everyone knows <laughs> that I love the YNCC. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was just the perfect way to, you know, and uh, start off my draft and then inevitably do terrible in that draft and then have something <laughs> to say about it. So, yeah, thanks, Mark of the Beast. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's about it for tonight, right? Yeah. Yep. Thanks for potting with me, boys. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate you so much. Until next you. Nationals. See you at Worlds. <laughs> Bye. I'm not going to Worlds. Yeah, I don't think any of us are. <laughs> no. That's, that's pretty far. Unless I qualify, then I am going. Pitch It To Me podcast is hosted by me, Joel Racinos, Clark Moore, and Fuzzy Delp. Our executive producer is Talon Stradley. Our logistics coordinator is John Farkas. Our music is produced by Dylan Hulse. Our logo is designed by Han V. And our sound mixing is done by Christopher Moore. Last but not least, thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Be sure to give us a follow on your favorite social media platform at Pidgey Podcast. <laughs>